Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you are here on People Have the Power, where this week we are joined for a very special Election Day episode with one of music's biggest activists, Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello. It was a pleasure to talk to Tom about the vocalists he's performed with over the years, from Chris Cornell and Bruce Springsteen to Chuck D and, of course, Zach De La Rocha, how they've influenced his music and his activism, and a lot more. Hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom as much as we did. Thanks. So for you, I mean, I'm sure it's one of those things. I mean, I guess, you know, the very obvious starting point is, you know, like what made this the right time? Because there were so many opportunities, I'm sure that you could have done the yeah. publishing, the Genesis book. Sure, sure, sure. Well, I've been working on this for a couple of years now. And, you know, really, I, I wanted to do it right. And there's it's my, you know, my career as musician and activist is such a diverse mosaic of experiences I wanted to make sure I covered all of the bases that were extremely rocking and those that were extremely rousing and those that were extremely embarrassing. Uh, and I think that we managed we managed to do that in closets and in attics and in garages and, you know, called up friends uh, from, from the distant past uh, to find photos that they had. It's the kind of thing that, that like, I, I wanted to tell the the entire story, you know, from some of the trials and tribulations to the, uh, to the triumphs, uh, you know, all in the course of one book. Well, you know, it's such a funny thing because I am one thing that's an obvious curiosity to me is, you know, I mean, given your penchant for writing and telling stories, it's very interesting that you decided to go with primarily a photo book. It, it's funny. I mean, will there be a memoir at some point or was it just something that you felt like the photos, you know, best explained, you know, what it was you want to say at this point? Yeah, there's no, there's no, uh, I mean, what I think best explains, best explains, you know, myself as an artist is the albums and the shows. Um, the photo book is a companion that kind of digs deeper in a way to, you know, to show like, you know, it's, it's me literally the moment I came back from my first rock concert thing, Kid, in 1977. It's the moment before I stepped on a quote unquote stage for the first time you know, the gig in my mom's, mom's basement, you know, with a picture of Stonehenge in the, in the background. You know, it, it got it got stuff from, from you know, the, the Rage Against the Machine opening for Tool uh, at Club Lingerie with 25 people in the audience. Um, you know, to the, you know, playing with Bruce and, you know, in stadiums around the world and, and you know, and, and sharing a microphone with, with my dear friend Chris Cornell. Uh, you know, to the, to the intense, you know, work and effort that I put into every one of my solo shows and albums. Um, you know, so it was just like, for me, it was, it was great to sort of sift through this lifetime of photographs uh, to, to weave a cohesive story. You know, it's such a funny thing because there's that cliche of every picture tells a, a thousand words and, you know, or that great Rod Stewart song, every picture tells a story. Still fucking love that song. And it's funny yeah, as you yeah. look through these, I imagine, you know, it's interesting because it, it seems to be a time where like Monday I'm talking to Lenny Kravitz for his memoir. I just talked to Peter Frampton for his, you know, I mean, you know, there's so many stories. And, and the thing that for me as a writer, I absolutely love is that when, as a writer, when you go back and uncover all this stuff, it brings up so much. 
it's things that you haven't thought about in forever or it's it's you know yep. tells a story you know so for you what were some of those things that really surprised you looking back at these photos? And, you know, it's interesting because you mentioned Chris and I just did an interview this morning with Joe Hahn from Lincoln Park. And, you know, I've been friends with those guys forever. And it's, you know, they have a hybrid theory box set coming out. And it's really fucking hard to talk to them at this point because yeah. it, it is. It's very difficult. It's it's very, you know, it, it's 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 just I don't know how else to say it other than it's difficult. So for you, I mean, was this one of those things where it was there was also a bittersweet faction to it? Absolutely. I mean, especially, you know, in the section about Chris, where it's, you know, trying to find the right pictures that kind of, you know, in a few pages, captured the vibe of that, you know, that friendship and of that band and of that love and of that, of that law. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that definitely, you know, is, is, you know, he was a big part of, you know, he's forever a big part of my story. And, you know, Tim and Brad as well with, with, with Audio Slaves. Uh, but, no, there's a lot, there's moments where, you know, like, when, when I very much live in the moment, you know, and there's always a lot going on right now. So to be able to hit the pause button and kind of go through, you know, decades of photos, you know, captured like one moment at a time, you know, from wearing spandex in my heart, like the, the leopard striped spandex in my Harvard gigs, which is not most so crazy, to wearing these kind of like over these tremendously elephantine oversized jeans you know, at the first Rage Against the Machine show, uh, you know, to the to the countless... I mean, there was a period between 2003 and, like, 2012 where I must have played... I mean, I played hundreds and hundreds of shows at picket lines and barricades. And, you know, every third show was a tear gas riot. And, you know, that was like a... It could be a whole book in and of itself. You know, and here it's, it's one... It's just it's one more square on the on the quilt of this uh, you know the, of my life of music and activism. Well, it's funny because you mentioned too, there was a, you know, in the book, you also, there's the point where you're talking about touring with Rage and, you know, I think in the mid 2000s when you guys got back together and you're wearing the Guantanamo Bay outfits and being re, you know, re-energized and it's just, you know, for you, as you went through this, you know, and this is kind of what I was asking before, I mean, because you mentioned the fashion, but are there particular things, even when you go all the way back to childhood, you know, because like, you, first of all, every single artist in the history of the world is focused on looking ahead and not looking back. So it's true. I mean, as I talk about with like, you know, every artist, when you're do, you know, unless you're doing a greatest hits or a retrospective or, you know, something of that nature, you know, look what Bruce yeah. has been touring for 50 years and has done one greatest hits tour in 50 years. So most artists right. never get this opportunity to go and look back. So for you, what were a couple of the things that surprised you the most as you actually had that opportunity to, like you say, put the pause button, pause button and see, cause it's yeah. like when it's going from lineage to lineage, you know, you're not really sitting there thinking about, Oh shit, I'm playing with Chris Cornell. Oh shit. I'm playing with boots Riley, who I'm still a huge fan exactly. of, you know, you're just doing exactly. it. Exactly. Exactly. You're just doing it. You know, so I'm, I mean, actually, while we're talking, I'm paging through it now, you know, and it's like, my, I, I, in here, I, there's, a, there's a picture of, like, my my little, like, telephone call sheet, and, you know, at the time, it's like, it's the very beginning of Rage Against the Machine, you know, it's, it's called Brad back about this, and, you know, and, and, and get money together for this demo, it's got, like, the, you know, like, that was such a, such a sort of exciting period of, of sort of creative you know, a creative explosion. And then, I mean, one thing that, that is so, me looking back, is just incredible, is that I've got to be in a band with Zach De La Rocha, Chris Cornell, 
Bruce Springsteen, Chuck D, and Be Real. You know, sort of five of the great, you know, it's like it's a Mount Rushmore of tremendously talented and influential uh, vocalists and frontmen. And, you know, and to, to be able to stand on stage with those guys as, like, your job is pretty mind-blowing. <laughs> Well, it's funny because it's it's interesting that you say your job. You probably don't think of it that way. It's, it's funny too. I mean, you know, and that goes back to one of my favorite quotes ever, 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 ever in an interview. It's it's there are two quotes that I come back to again and again and again from interviews. Roger Daltrey, who I interviewed only once, got to sit down with at Sunset Marquee. What an amazing fucking moment that was. And I asked him if he went into the Sunset, if he ever went into the Morrison Hotel Gallery, and he talked about the fact that no, because when he went in there, all he saw were dead friends. So we were talking about, you know, knowing people, and he's like, I've met, he's like, I've met thousands of people. I know very few. It takes years to get to know someone. I always love that quote. But the other yeah, one, yeah. and it's a great quote for musicians, but the other one is from little Steven, you know, who, who said to me when we're talking about him playing with Bruce and starring in the Sopranos. And he's like, there's no way that you could have ever dreamed my life. And it's funny for you, as you sit there and think of playing with these musicians, I'm sure that that's very much the case where it's like, cause I think one of the first times you and I met was in Sacramento at a Springsteen show where you were just there as a fan. It might've been the first right, time right. you came on stage with him or one of the first times, you know, yeah. And so, I mean, for you, as you, you know, actually get the moment to sit back and think of it, I'm sure there is a certain amount of like, wait, how, you know, like the Talking Heads song, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm just, I just randomly kind of opened to a page now, and it's got a picture of the, the guitar that I bought for 40 Canadian dollars at a Toronto pawn shop that was the guitar that played you know, on Raging Against the Machine, the song that won Raging Against the Machine, their first grant. You know, um, then, you know, then right next to that is the noise chart from 94, 95, which I always would forget. Like, I would come up with these crazy sounds on guitar, you know, put them down on a, a cassette recorder, listen back to them, and I couldn't recreate them because I couldn't remember what I did. So I began keeping these noise charts, you know, so that I wouldn't lose, lose those ideas. And so then here are the noise charts, which which I used as the cornerstones for writing the guitar solos for the Evil Empire record. You know, it's from the notebook. So it's like, you know, for me, it was really like pretty cool to go, and you know, like, and there's, there's some, there's some, there's some, you know, uh, memories that, you know, bring a tear as well. My main Telecaster guitar is played on, you know, from Show Me How to Live, The Killing of the Names, so, you know, every song in Drop D in the catalog. Uh, it was a guitar that belongs to my roommate, Scott Tracy, who played in a local band called Liquid Jesus. Um, I wanted to learn how to do Drop D tuning, but my guitar had a, like a locking nut on it, so you couldn't do it. That's why I needed a, a guitar. And so he traded me his Telecaster um, for a Marshall head that I had. You know, and that's been the guitar that I've played at every show since. Scott passed away. And this guy was in a band that never got to tour. He never really got to, he had great rock dreams like we all did, and he never got to kind of live them. But I've taken this guitar that was his everywhere, you know? And so he's, you know, he's the, the spirit of that friendship is in every note that I've ever played on it. And, you know, so for me, this book brings back a lot of memories like that too. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure. And it's interesting. I mean, and it's, it's I mean, when you think though, like, it, you know, it's funny when you say that he had great rock dreams like so many 
of, you know, so many people do. I, I mean, does it give you an even greater appreciation for the fact that, I mean, because look, let's be real about it. I, one of my favorite interviews with Chris, too, we were talking about, you know, the, all the respect and attention he got as a vocalist. And he's like, dude, he's like, there are better singers than me everywhere. They just don't get known. I mean, there's so much luck that goes into it as well. Absolutely. 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 Yeah. And like, there's, you know, you never, there's no crystal ball that I could have looked into to envision that the band that I was in, Audio Slave, would be the first American rock and roll band to ever play a show in Cuba. You know? Like, if that was the totality of the story, that'd be a pretty fucking cool story. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know but here it's, here it's, you know, it's one, two. You know, it's, uh, yeah, well, it's so interesting. I mean, for you, you know, I, I you know, I let's come back to it's funny because I actually got to interview Chuck yesterday. And so let's talk about, you know, as you think of all these vocalists and, and you know, because all of them have their own very distinct thing. Sadly, the only one I still have never met is Bruce. I'm not giving up hope. But, you know, I've met every other one. And, you know, everyone has their own very distinct personality. So for you, talk about what you've learned from all of them that, you know, you put forth into your music and activism, because they all are very distinct personalities. Oh, absolutely. I mean, well, I mean, for, for me, like, that is the punk rock James Brown. You know, and he combines, the, you know, the, 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 the intelligence and insight of a, of a Chomsky with the revolutionary fervor of a subcommandante Marcos and then you mix in HR from Bad Brains and you know like that what a what an inspiration it you know it is to hear his voice on record to stand next to him on stage and there's no one there's you know there's it's hard to like to, to sort of channel that kind of shaman like punk rock fury is something that you know you either got it or you don't and nobody has it like he has it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then, and then, Chris Cornell, who's a, a, like a born rock god, you know, someone whose 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 creativity, you know, almost single handedly rescued the genre of hard rock music, you know, by infusing unapologetic, you know, Zeppelin and, and Sabbath riffs with this with this nuanced, dark, intelligent poetry to make it okay for smart people to love heavy metal again. <laughs> um, you know, that's with, with Chuck T, who's the, the, the you know, if there is a Mount Rushmore of, of, of MCs, he's in the pole position. And were it not for his voice, his lyrics, his band, the sound of that music, I, you know, I never would have been the musician that I am. And to be able to, you know, be in a band with Chuck, and he's the most humble guy in the world. Like, like, you know, his, his humility is that of a of a minor league uh, baseball sportscaster, which I think he secretly wants to be. <laughs> 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 um, you know, and yet his you know his 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 words carry the weight you know of the of the uh, of the world. Um, you know, be real. That Cypress Hill record was was one of the cornerstones of the sound of Rage Against the Machine. And, you know, the, the production on that record and the, and the, 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 the street identity that they, that they forged on that was hugely influential to, you know, to us as a band. You know, and then my man, you know, Bruce Springsteen, you know, has all his commitment to excellence in everything that he does, you know, in his art is, it's unparalleled. 
Well, and it's so interesting too because it's funny as you're talking about this. What I what I was just occurring to me is that you know all of them also have very different approaches to their activism as well, and you know, and I think that's a really cool thing is that you know, and it's funny because you mentioned you know Chuck's humility, and obviously you know Chris was incredibly humble as well. That's what I recall about him, and you know, um, you know, but for all of them, they have very different approaches to activism, but they all have this great social consciousness. So for you, talk about too, you know, it's interesting to talk about what you've taken then from into your activism and to combining music and activism from all of them. Because I mean, Bruce was doing it very early on. And then obviously, you know, Zach is very passionate about it. Chuck is, you know, he was doing it in hip hop before pretty much anybody was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For me, like I've always, from a very early age, I identified as a radical like independent of my music, you know, and, and that my that my principal inspiration in my life were were you know almost secondarily guitar players and predominantly rap revolution. Uh, and so then when I found my I, I didn't choose to play guitar, it chose me. So I'm stuck, both blessed and cursed with being a guitar player, and then and then burdened with the task finding a way to make that job into one that helps to change the world. You know, um, and so and so, it, it's a, I sort of came at it from a different route than a lot of other musicians who have a social conscience. Like I, I thought that the, the, the responsibility of of an activist, in some ways, you know, came first. But now here's the guitar solo. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you, know? Um, you know, and that's why that the whole period of like doing the, the Night Watchman stuff and the Atlas Underground, you know, where it's really sort of committed in a way to you know, social justice endeavors first and foremost, uh, you know, on, on, on a real, like, tactile level. You're playing shows that benefit A, B, and C. Now, you can play songs at that show that are joyful and, and that don't have anything to do with, you know, Guatemalan labor unions, but that the intent of why you're there on that day could be to inspire, it can to be to create sort of material, you know, uh, 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 goods for the cause that you're supporting. Or there, you know, one one thing that is very very true is courage is contagious. You now, and whether it's in Zach's lyrics or whether it's in you know uh, 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 a solo acoustic performance, you know, at the barricade, when you sort of step outside of the safety of a pop stardom shell, it can be. I, I, I so I've heard from the you know the activists who I've been able to grassroots activists I've been able to support with my work. It's helpful. And it puts wind in the sails of those struggles and helps steal the backbone of people who are really doing the work to change the world on a daily basis. So it's so interesting for you as you as you think about it, because we've talked about the five that you've worked with, you know, but also for you, and, and not just from a music standpoint, but those activists. And, and again, this ties in with the book because, you know, this is a, a lineage. This, this is the tracing of, you know, how you got to be where you are today. Who are those activists? you know, that really influence, shape your ideals and that you admire. And it's, you know, it's funny because for, I've mentioned to you the podcast I'm doing and I just spoke with Carlos Santana not long ago. And, you know, he talks so much about the lessons of the 60s that he had and, you know, whether it was like Miles Davis, whether it was Cesar Chavez, you know, all these different, whether it was Gandhi, you know, Martin Luther King, you know, these different, you know. And I mean, you know, so for you, talk about, you know, those principles that you bring into the music and, and where they came from. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, it was very much, you know, it was the people that, that, that challenged everything about the status quo, um, and it made me rethink, like, was I being taught the truth 
you know, by the by the anchor on the nightly news and by the teacher in my history class. It was the Black Panthers. It was the Weathermen. It was the anti-colonial struggles um, in uh, East Asia and in Africa. It was Kwame Nkrumah. It was, um, you know, it was it was uh, Fanon, the mention of the earth. That you know, the, 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 it's something like that's what matters. Like that's what you should do with your life is you should confront injustice with everything you've got. Like that's that's the whole point, you know. And then, and then I, I had a calling to be a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, is it possible to do both? They're like, you know, like to what degree can I do both? Uh, and and this, this book and my life has been about that journey. All right, so to, to you, who is that person? That that one person who best embodies that that mix? That that one artist that you look to for the way. Yeah that they were able to, because it's funny, you say that you wonder, you know, can you have that activism and then also be a guitar player? So so for you, is there yeah. one? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that there's one. I mean, there's certainly pieces of the, I would say that, that, that muse, music can be politically revolutionary without lyrics, you know? So, so I would say the Charlie Parker or a Coltrane or a Hendrix by, by intimating that, that there were undreamable things possible on their instruments. It, it, it implies that there might be undreamable things possible in society. You know? And so, and so I think that would be a part of the, like the musician's part is definitely part of the puzzle. Um, you know, and then for me it was The, the Clash was the band that, that, that they, they had unapologetic music, unapologetic politics, Public Enemy and the Clash were sort of the two, you know, the real two cornerstones, you know, in that regard. Um, so both, so both those bands, they came from you know, like you know, on the one hand, it was squatters and art school people you know, in the Clash, and you know, and, and Chuck D, it was, it was aspiring sportscasters who, who very, very intelligent, radical-minded aspiring sportscasters uh, who happened to be the greatest MC of, of all time. Um, and so, like, I'm still really looking for that that lane where you continue to sort of puncture through the 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 the, the, the apathy of of pop, pop music culture with something that that can be radically transforming, you know. And I'm 19 records in on that journey, and looking forward to the next 19. That's a funny thing too, and I won't keep it much longer, but that's an interesting thing as well because it's funny. I mean, you know, I've spoken to so many bands at that moment where they get inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and it's like, yeah, it's great, but it's like, dude, this is just, this is not, you know, this is like a, it kind of reinvigorates as opposed to the gold watch, you know, and when you do a career retrospective book, it can feel like the gold watch, but do you feel like as you look at all this stuff, it kind of inspires you going forward and, and, you know, what are the biggest oh, things absolutely. that you take from this book yeah, that you're excited to put forward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it definitely inspired me. I'm inspired anyway. Like, I'm always trying to redefine what a guitar can be, you know? Um, and, you know, with my, with my passionate love of that instrument as a forward-looking instrument, not as, not as a nostalgic retro instrument, but as something that can be a dominant part of the conversation of the future of music, you know, that. That's my goal. Like I'm, you know, and I'm on that every day. I'm gonna, I'm doing a couple more interviews, and then I'll, I'm 
All right. So, so last two questions, but one, I'm going to put you on the spot because I asked Chuck this yesterday and, you know, obviously I'm very fixated on protest songs at this point, but I always have been, you know, you and I have talked about this over the years. What for you, you're on stage with Bruce, you're on stage with Chuck, you're on stage with, you know, Joan Baez, Patti Smith, all of the greats of this. It's a big benefit show because I saw in the book where you mentioned too that when you're putting together a benefit, one of the people that always comes to mind is, you know, or always says yes is Boots. By the way, it's funny, we, yeah. we didn't even mention the fact, it's so funny when we talk about all the great frontmen you worked with, we didn't even give props yeah. to Serge, who's a fucking incredible dude and is a friend. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. I, I mean, it, it's not that I know you were it's trying to say. I was just going to say, it's just that, you know, that's how many great frontmen you've worked with. But, you know, so so the point being that you're on stage with all these people, what's the what's the song that closes out the show, the, the all-star jam that closes out the, the benefit? <laughs> oh wow um, and I'll tell you what Chuck said in a minute I want to hear yours first yeah yeah, yeah. I mean well I, the, the two I mean the two I'll just say the two the first, the first came to mind like I've finished hundreds of shows with Woody Guthrie's This Land is Your Land you know and you know as America's alternative national anthem I think one one day when we paint the White House black that'll be the song that we think as we lower the flag uh, and, uh, and then another might be a little by the name of Killing in the Name, which we've heard a lot in the streets of Portland. You hear it in the streets of Columbia. You hear it in the streets of Santiago. You hear it in the streets of Paris. Whenever the barricades come up and the tear gas starts flying, um, there's a lot of fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Uh, echoing through the, uh, echoing at the barricades. Well, that's an interesting point. By the way, Chuck chose war. That was the first one that came to mind. Edwin Star War. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which as it, of course is a song that Springsteen has done as well. But, you know, it, it's interesting because, you know, I mean, let's tie this in with the activism portion. And, and I mean, look, obviously this year has been a, a mind fuck for everyone. And, you know, you and I talked about the fact last week you were supposed to be on tour. It's funny because I just interviewed Run the Jewels last week who were supposed to be opening for you. And now they're doing a, a sure. voter special with, you know, Adult Swim. You know, so for you, I mean, can you talk about like, what do you do to stay active and make sure that, you know, things that, that, I mean, you know, in the word, in one of the, I mean, I just interviewed Patty Smith again, who's 73 and, and, you know, one of the wisest people in the world. And, you know, she was talking about, it, she's like, I've never seen it so divided in my entire lifetime. And she lived through Vietnam, civil war, yeah. I, I mean, you know, not civil war, I'm sorry, I don't mean, you know, civil rights, you know? Yeah. So for you, you know, talk about what you can do in these next two months, you know, going forward to be involved and be active and be a voice with obviously, unfortunately, Rage not getting to tour. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, we are at a, a, a historic and dangerous crossroads of the globe. Um, you know, from the from the fear of a of a proto fascist takeover to the impending environmental doom. Like this, is all hands on deck. And I think you know everything that we have at our disposal, from marching in the streets on a daily basis to uh, you know. To, Every arrow in the quiver, voting, protesting, uh, you know, uh, demanding accountability, uh, uh, using every ounce of our, you know, creativity, courage, and, you know, and passion to, to try to right the ship. Because here's the thing that I've always believed is that we should aim for the world we really want without, without compromise, 
or apology and not settle. And here we have, you know, we, we're looking at like the, the mad dogs of war, you know, breathing down our necks right now. The worst of the worst has been, you know, unleashed, um, you know, by this, this, this particular uh, regime. And, you know, it's time for all people of good heart to stand and be counted because there are more of us than there are of them. That's the good news. And, and that they're louder and they, you know, it's often better funded, but we've got the numbers. Um, and, you know, you saw there was, a, there was a brief second when in the, in the aftermath of the, the latest racist cop murder of an African-American where there was a wildcat strike in Major League Baseball where without even consulting the MLB union, players didn't play a game. It caught up. Other, game, other players stayed home. Basketball, the NBA playoffs stopped. Like, like the, the idea that we will not take this shit is one that we should seriously consider. Say, we, if we go 48 hours into a general strike, the world will turn upside down. You know? Let's remind them that we're the one make the world work. You know? And that it can be stopped at any moment if this shit doesn't stop. Yeah, cool. Wrap up on a lighter note, but it's funny because as we talked about, I mean, you know, and it's interesting, it actually started, by the way, with the uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks were the first ones to do it. And, you know, so okay. let's let's give yeah. them credit. I mean, and it was a fucking yeah. playoff. Yeah, started basketball. Yeah, that's right. Yep. Yep. And it was a fucking playoff game too. So that took balls. It wasn't just a regular, and they just, yeah. like, they didn't tell anybody. They just were like, nope, we're not yeah. coming out of the locker room. Just, just to be clear, I think I maybe misstated. So the first one was basketball, not baseball. It was basketball first, then it went to baseball? Yes. Yeah, it was basketball with the Bucks. Yeah. Yeah, no, because and they but the, the great thing about I was watching the game that day because I'm a huge basketball fan. They didn't tell anybody. No one knew it was coming. They didn't announce yeah. it. They didn't make a big deal about it. They were just like, nope, you know, we're, we're, you know, and they were willing to forfeit the game until the NBA realized what a bad, you know, move that was. And yeah, so, but on a, you know, on, on another note, since we talked about all the great front men that you worked with and even, you know, got surged in there quickly, who's the dream one? Who, who's the one that you haven't worked with yet that, that, you know, is the, is the number one? I think I've kind of checked all of, frankly, I've checked all of the living ones, I've checked all the boxes. I do have regret that, like, I did casually know Joe Strummer, and while we, we appear on two songs together, that, that a more expansive collaborative work is one that I, I wish that I had had the guts to propose. It's funny. I mean, is there still, since you say you wish you had to get some proposals, this would be the last question, but is there still that person that you geek out on that, that, you know, like where you, you still get that sense of, you know, like fandom? I get it every single time I interview Patty. I geek out so much and she's so sweet about sure, it. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I mean, honestly, dude, like I, I, I think most of my boxes are checked in that regard and they're all over the book. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Cool. What do you want to add? We didn't talk about uh, I think I think we're good. You know, just like thanks for doing this one. I'm just like, see you know, if there's any last minute exciting photographs in here that I we might have overlooked. I mean, and, while you're while you're looking, I guess I am curious. Do you see yourself writing a proper memoir at some point? I haven't. I haven't. You know, it's been brought up a million times. It's the kind of thing where I'd have to put everything out on hold for for a while. I'm 
not into putting everything on hold. Like I've got too much music to make and kids to raise and stuff like that. So. Well, it's also funny too, by the way, because we both have that mutual friend of Heather Perry, who I adore, you know, yep. and it's like, it's interesting. I like the fact that you actually did a coffee table book because, you know, most people in this day and age would just do the Netflix documentary. Right, 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 right. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, this is something I was really passionate about. And during a time where there was no touring, it was like the perfect, the perfect time to, you know, focus on it, get it right, and put it out Cool. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll, we'll speak again sooner rather than later. I look forward to it, man. Take care. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Okay, you too. Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been here on People Have the Power with special guest Tom Morello. Hope you enjoy this one as much as we did.